Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkoff, and I am lost somewhere in Asia. I think it looks like Hong Kong outside the window. Uh... Corey Shockey is with us from, where are you, Corey? <laughs> I'm in Washington. You're still in Washington, D.C. Rosa no, Brooks, I imagine. it's worse than you imagine. I went back to London and I'm back here. Wow. I must be applying for a job in John Bolton's NSC. And, <laughs> um, and, and Rosa Brooks at Georgetown University Law School. And we are joined also in this conversation by Mika Oyang, who is the Vice President for National Security Studies at the Third Way Organization. Hello. Um, hello, hello. Um, so I'm in Hong Kong. Anything going on back home? <laughs> It's very quiet here. <laughs> very, very when, quiet. One might call uh, it the calm before the storm. <laughs> really? Because I would have thought that the president calling the former FBI director a lying slime bag would have <laughs> raised a few eyebrows. That's the kind of uh, presidential behavior that we, we approve of here in the United States. Yeah. Or have become resigned to completely fitting the dignity of the office. <laughs> I like that word resigned there, Mika. <laughs> if only we could figure out another way to how to use it in a sentence. Well, I get very nervous when I see things like Tom Bossert, Nadia Shadlow, and others have resigned from the Speaking National Security of, Council yeah. in the, you know, with the arrival of one John Bolton. Yeah, but John Bolton hasn't seemed to have put his own people in yet. Who do who do we think he will put in there? So it's interesting because I think there's um, one of my former colleagues, Fred Flights, who was his chief of staff at the State Department, I think is very eager to go back in. But there was an interesting story yesterday about how a lot of the foreign policy players from the Pence-Haley team are coming down to Washington to take over positions at the NSC and that it was suggested that they, in fact, are going to be running foreign policy for this administration, I think, to try and reassure people that John Bolton's influence will be cabined. Um, that's so well, reassuring. That's, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's not because it wasn't the... the it, I, I thought I noticed that one of Haley's deputies... Um, Lerner is the last name, uh, is going to be Pence's chief of staff and remain Haley's deputy. Yes, exactly. That was the story. I mean, Pence's national security advisor and remain Haley's deputy. 
that seems a kind of a offbeat arrangement, eh? Yeah, neither of those are full-time jobs. So easy to do with them both in two cities separated by a few hours. But come on, people, this is the least of our problems, right? I mean, I mean, no, pro no actual problem will be solved by this guy resigning from one of those positions in order to devote time full-time full to the other. <laughs> I mean, the central problem remains, as it has always been, uh, the president himself, uh, with secondary problems having to do with the people he installs in his cabinet and his national security advisor. Um, these, these... I mean, unfortunately, and I say this as someone who has great respect for Nadia Shadlow, for instance, um, but the, the presence or absence of a handful of sane people several ranks below the president unfortunately appear to make no difference whatsoever to any outcome. Uh, well, I think that that's true. But, I, you know, I, I was trying to have a sober moment of reflection on process since we established on the last episode that nerds love process more than they love box <laughs> That's <box>. fair. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you're absolutely right, David. This is not a shiny example of good process. Here we have example number 473.5 of poor process. That's exactly right. Rosa is when exactly I also, right. I also wanted to do some sort of half-assed speculation here. Um, because hasn't Rick Grinnell been having a hard time getting uh, confirmed as ambassador to Germany? And wasn't Rick Grinnell Bolton's spokesperson at the UN? Uh, yeah, he was. Um, but, you know, he, unlike Bolton, he makes a number of bombastic claims, which I think has slowed down the process for him getting through the Senate, especially given that... Um, you know, we've had one Republican senator say that he would oppose both Pompeo and Haspel out of concerns that we were getting too uh, belligerent a, a series of national security advisors around the president. That, given that it's a 51-49 Senate, a lot of these controversial nominees are going to have a really tough time. No, it's true. And I, but I was thinking, you know, if Grinnell couldn't get confirmed, you don't need to be confirmed to be the spokesperson for the NSC. He could go be Bolton's spokesperson. And the concentration of assholes at the NSC would go up substantially. I think that's a pretty safe bet that that's going to happen with Bolton appointees on the NSC. Yeah, well, I just, you know, it was just, it was just speculation. It's wild speculation. Meanwhile, down the hall from the NSC um, in the White House, apparently the president is doing nothing but eating and watching television, which I understand is, from a cardiovascular perspective, not such a good regime. I mean, Corey, you're you know a physical fitness nut. Do you do you, do you recommend this? Are you worried about the president's? Are you worried about the president's cardiovascular system, or is is there some other uh, biological system of his that you worry about? <laughs> well, the president eating and watching TV is is surely bad for his health. It may also be bad for. Uh, the country since he seems to take anything that's said on Fox and Friends and make it American national policy. Uh, so cutting his cable line would probably be uh, good for the country. But I also think he could be using his time in worse ways, like trying to craft effective policies consistent with his belligerent statements which I have not so far seen those policies come into fruition. <laughs> um, no, but 
you know, weirdly, these weird things happen. Like the president, I'm sorry to bounce all over the place, but this is just the news of the past 12 hours. But the president seems to be considering reversing himself on TPP. I mean, here I am in China, about to spend um, 10 days in China. And that seems almost sound. So, you know, it's very disorienting for me. Um, how do you explain that, Rosa? Uh, I can't explain this. Um, there is no real explanation other than the same explanation I always offer, which is that when you have a president who's basically unhinged, uh, you're going to get an erratic, unhinged foreign policy, and that is what we are getting. Um, I, I think, uh, needless to say, um, this is just causing further chaos in international relations. Um, you know, first Trump says, I hate that, I'm going to kill it. Uh, and he kills it, uh, withdraws from it. Uh, then now he, a year later, says, oh, actually, never mind. Um, I can't see any particular reason for the other parties to the agreement to uh, allow the U.S. back in at this point. Um, I, you know, it's... <laughs> Uh, and you'll have a better sense of that, David, and hopefully you can report back to us uh, after your after your 10 day trip in China on what attitudes are in the region. Um, but but yes, it's it's completely bizarre. The, the other question that it raises in my mind um, is not really a question about foreign policy, but rather a question about American domestic politics. It, it sort of raises the question of whether American electoral politics, at least at the presidential level, have themselves become completely unhinged and unhinged specifically from any policy uh, views, right? Because whatever theory people had about, well, why would you vote for Trump um, if you were a Trump voter, had something to do with this set of policy views he espoused, um, including hardline views against this kind of trade deal. Um, and if he is now reversing himself on one of those, and it doesn't matter to his base, um, I mean, there have been so many other issues on which Trump has sort of reversed himself and doesn't seem to matter from his base. Is this a final bit of evidence that whatever it is that his base is voting for, uh, it's his hair or something, because it sure can't be his policies? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's not his hair. Um, I, I don't know. know if that a, man has a fine head of hair. And James Comey says that he thinks it's all his. It's kind of ironic that a man <laughs> with such bad hair is being attacked by a man named Comey. But the. <laughs> but it, it, in, in terms of really bad or, or, or just perplexing policy reversals, Mika, one of the ones that strikes me has to do with Syria, where, you know, at one point, again, I'm just sticking to the past, you know, 24 hours or so, the president is like, we're going to go after them. Watch out, Vladimir Putin. Our smart missiles are smarter than your smart missiles. They're sane genius missiles. And, 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 and then, like, you know, a few hours later, he's like, well, I didn't say when we would do it. We might do it. We might not do it. Who knows what we're doing? Is this very canny? Because, you know, it might be three-dimensional chess, and I just am not up to it. But 
Maybe you have a working group on this kind of thing. (laughs) I I think it's much simpler than that. I mean, I think this is a president whose black and white definitive statements are coming into violent conflict with a really complex reality. And he doesn't he wants to do something that shows people he's decisive. But at the same time, he doesn't like weighing the actual cost that doing something decisive might make him own a very complex problem and also might bring him at odds with his favorite other foreign leader, Vladimir Putin. Um, At the same time, not doing something makes him look weak. So I think his inconsistency here is reflective of his inability to process the complexity. Well, that's, yes, that's a fair... That's a thoughtful analysis. But, Corey, another potential analysis is that he's actually super consistent because he is so committed to being decisive that he's committed to doing a decisive thing, even if it's the opposite of the last decisive thing he did. (laughs) So, uh, yes, David, I agree with that. I think anyone looking for consistency or decision rules by which you can determine the president's behavior will be disappointed. Make yeah, no, well, as James, other- Comey, as James Comey once said, I believe, consistency is the hobgoblin of small hands. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <laughs> David, you have a good memory for a quote. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what I, uh, I think Mika made a really important point, though, about accountability, because my sense is that The president, in all of his engagement with the military, it wants to talk like a tough guy and swagger, but he doesn't want to take responsibility for outcomes, right? So uh, when a service member was killed early on in the president's administration, he claimed to have nothing to do with it, right? Like the generals made this decision. The remanding of lots of operational responsibilities decisions for those back into the Department of Defense from the White House, where they had been held in the Obama administration, the way he constantly talks about, uh, you know, sort of wanting all of the troops out of Syria in 48 hours and has to be talked sense to, uh, he just, he's trying to avoid any responsibility for decisions that happen under his command. And I, I absolutely agree with Mika that, that this is why he's vacillating all over the place, because he, he wants the generals to take responsibility for the wars. The great thing about American public attitudes, though, is that we affix that responsibility to leaders. We elect to aggregate our societal preferences and determine how much blood, treasure, and effort to accord to these things. So I think he won't be able to escape it. And that makes me um, more confident that the president's actually not going to do anything big, dangerous, and costly like a preventative war on the Korean Peninsula or a, a uh, a major sustained involvement in Syria. I just think he he doesn't have the attention span for it. Listen, deep state nerds, did you just hear that tiara sparkling? I mean, the idea of hearing a tiara sparkle 
is it's kind of metaphysically challenging. But I thought I heard it sparkling. Um, Rosa, we need sound effect. Yeah, we do. We need a kind of twinkle sound. That Corey speaks. Corey speaks these yeah, things in this like way. a little Tinkerbell noise. I will get on that, and maybe we can just have Ian trigger it as a sound effect when I start talking. Yeah, like kind of the sound, you know, like when Samantha twig rub winkle, you know, rubbed her nose back and forth on bewitched or something like that <laughs> um so something like that rosa i what, just have got to know believe. what the sound is of the thorny crown of entropy yeah well that's dun, it's dun, just yeah, right. <laughs> yes it's box toccata and fugue that's what it is that that's possible it could also be rachel dratch on saturday night live as debbie downer <laughs> That's uh, which me. just goes just goes to show the, the kind of cultural references that Corey and I go to. Um, but as you as you listen to it, you know, uh, Rosa wearing that uh, thorny crown of entropy. Um, d d do you take any uh, uh, comfort from uh, Corey's soothing words? Um. Yes, I do take some comfort from sorry, Corey's soothing words, in fact. Um, I, I think that she's right. Thus far, the evidence has been that Trump's uh, bluster has not, in fact, been followed up by sustained action um, on most foreign policy matters. Um, and, you know, indeed, even even the TPP, we withdrew. Well, now we want to get back in, whatever. Um, um, and I also we're gonna, think we're gonna that... Bomb. We're going to bomb. We're not going to bomb. We're going to bomb, need, maybe not. There, there's an urgent need for a wall. Well, there's not such an urgent need for a wall. We're, right. Japan and all that, we're going to have a trade embargo. No, we're not going to have a trade embargo. It, the, it's, we've gone from the waffling of Obama around the middle, you know, to the waffling of Trump around the extremes. Yeah, I mean, no, that, that that's right. And, and I also do take some comfort in the fact that uh, so far, the Pentagon shows signs of not going as crazy as the rest of the administration. Um, and at least based on the, the reporting that we're getting uh, coming out of the Pentagon, it, it seems pretty clear that there are at least some voices there, including that of the Secretary of Defense, who are issuing fairly powerful warnings about the danger of inadvertent escalation in Syria, uh, about the need to be thoughtful and cautious and make sure we know what we're doing and have a plan and other fairly basic stuff. And thus far, again, this could this could change, but thus far, uh, uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis is the one member of the Trump administration who Trump hasn't, A, has not fired, and B, seems somewhat disposed to listen to. Um, and that does also give me a little bit of comfort on this. I mean, I think Corey makes an important point about this president not wanting to own difficult consequences, which is that I think one of the ways that we as a nation can dissuade him from taking disastrous courses of action is by explaining to him that it will be a much harder road 
after whatever action it is that he's taken. I remember he's a guy who said, oh, who knew healthcare could be so hard when it came to Obamacare, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? We talk about, you know, owning Syria or the consequences of strikes with North Korea. You talk about imposing tariffs on China and the retaliatory tar- tariffs that come from China. I mean, in every move he wants to make, he makes life much harder for himself. And as David noted at the beginning of the podcast, he's a guy who just wants to sit down, watch TV and eat. So like he doesn't really want to do anything that is personally difficult for him. Um, yes, that's it. That seems to be true. So, Corey, it seems to me I'm, I'm going to just make a wild ass guest here, but um, we, we, we should explore the consequence anyway. We talked a little bit on the last episode about Syria. We haven't struck Syria yet. Um, my guess is that we will soon, despite the president's statement, he, you know, we may or we may not. Uh, and my guess is that it'll be timed uh, as a television show. So probably if you had to time it, because it's we're taping on a Friday and, you know, it's not one of those things you want to bury late in a Friday, um, that you would probably do it right before the Sunday morning show so they don't talk about all the other stuff that's going on. Um, do you think that if you were in Syria right now, you would be planning your trip to your, you know, your bunker uh, to coincide with a couple of hours <laughs> before meet the press? Um, and- <laughs> yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to, to figure out the president's timing. My sense is that uh, that what is going on is that the administration, it, first of all, the president hasn't yet decided a little or a lot. They're trying to figure out how broad a coalition is possible, because the broader the coalition, not only does it serve to um, increase the military punch and include the uh, include the intelligence capabilities of other allies, but it also serves to more strongly reinforce the norm of opposition to chemical weapons use. The last thing it it would do that is fantastic is make it much costlier for the Russians to escalate. That is, the Russians may be spoiling for a U.S.-Russian fight. My my guess is that more likely what they are trying to do is they understand very well that they care more about this than we care about. And what they are looking to do is, is raise the risk of escalation and thereby minimize what the United States does militarily. But I think uh, acting in a coalition makes that harder because it looks like Russia is facing the West, not just the United States. But... Rosa, don't, don't you think it's likely that what the West will do will still be a one-off that has actually no lasting consequences? Yes. And that, in fact, the Russians will get essentially what they want. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely right. And and I, I think that all the, the what we're seeing in the UK and in France, unfortunately, is also largely empty posturing. Um, uh, I, we, we've, there's, We've seen a collective failure on the part of the Western countries to 
take any effective measures. Uh, we've also, of course, seen a, a collective failure on the part of, of most with the U.S. standing right at the top of this list um, to even take effective humanitarian measures in terms of refugees. Uh, I think that the, the odds are very, very high that if there is military action, it will be it will be of short duration and it will be intended to permit, you know, Theresa May and Macron and Donald Trump to all go home and say, see, we did it. We sure taught Assad a lesson. We sure taught those Ruskies a lesson. And now we're done uh, without achieving anything meaningful. Yeah, no, I, I think that, Mika, do you want to step in there? Well, I was just going to say, I do think that Corey's right, that we'll see, I expect, and we'll make this prediction now, we will see a military strike of limited duration between 10 p.m. and midnight Sunday night. Um, Saturday. Saturday. No, Sunday Sunday night. night. Sunday night, because as uh, some clever reporter tweeted out, the moon phases for Damascus for this week means that there will be a new moon on April 16th at 5 a.m., so that's seven hours ahead of us. And so I, that's Monday. I would expect that set sun, our Sunday night, you would expect to see a strike. Because if you're going to do a strike, you want a strike when it's less obvious, you know, in terms of incoming. Um, but I do think that that strike will have tremendous long-term consequences for the use of force. Because it is the U.S. continuing to, and its allies, continuing to enforce violations of the Chemical Weapons Convention without evidence and without international consensus to do so. And once we've opened up that, you know, as we continue to leave that Pandora's box open, we leave it to other countries who have the capability to enforce these kinds of things against us in the future from not having to go through the UN Security Council to for not having to wait for any kind of credible internationally inspected evidence. Um, and I think it really lowers the threshold for conflict going forward. Well, the, you know, that's a really interesting point, because honestly, as I think about it, I think this is going to be strategically ineffective, uh, an empty uh, gesture. Uh, it is not going to actually do much to dissuade the Syrians. Uh, it is going to play into the hands of the Russians and the Iranians who sort of calculated what the outcomes were going to be there. Uh, and, and apparently the Russians, you know, went into Duma to enforce the peace, you know, really showing that they're working hand in glove with Assad. But Corey, there's another element of this whole thing. And that is one of the areas where Donald Trump seems to be completely consistent, where his Syria policy seems to be consistent with his Mueller probe policy. This guy has no respect for the rule of law, whether it's international law or domestic law, um, which is kind of chilling when you consider how difficult a time he has having any other policy that's consistent. Yeah, I I think policy inconsistency is not gonna happen in this administration. I don't agree with Mika's um, description of, you know, trying to enforce the Chemical Weapons Convention with no evidence. I actually think that that the American government is producing evidence on that, and other governments are as well. So I do think it matters to try and uphold that and to release the information on which our judgments are based. But 
but yes, the broader point that this is a president who who can't walk and chew gum at the same time. He doesn't have the attention span or the interest in in making ironing out the the inconsistencies in his policy and making them use levers of power that reinforce each other. You know, the Korean trade agreement threats, at the same time, he wants the South Koreans to be central to running risks on the, about the North Korean nuclear program. He just, he just is incapable of untangling that stuff because he doesn't care. And so it makes our policies less effective, and it makes us more likely to uh, make enormous mistakes. So okay, I just well, want to respond to Corey's. I didn't suggest that we were not producing any evidence, but we've had this process where we're trying to get the OPCW in to verify and the lack of internationally an international organization to verify so that it has sort of a indisputable, it's not a particular nation that's bringing forward the evidence. Um, I think that's a piece that's missing here. And the United States has done that on more than one occasion, not waiting for the international inspectors to come back and say to the rest of the world, okay, it's not just the U.S. that's saying this, but here is an organization that we have all signed on to who says this is the problem. Okay. So let's just take a, a, a look in a slightly different direction. Again, just sort of dwelling on the past uh, day or two. Um, and then I would like to come back around to some of these investigations and the more salacious stuff because I want to finish strong. But on Rose, a salacious like to, note. <laughs> yeah, I always like to end on a salacious note. But I'd like to talk about a part of the world we never talk about. Um, uh, although I used to spend a lot of my time from a policy perspective dealing with it. And that is Latin America. The president was supposed to go to Latin America. He then decided that because of all the shit hitting the fan legally, that he would not go to Latin America, probably because he wanted to stay behind and attack the Comey book, which has him uh, apoplectic for perfectly good reasons. Um, but we, instead, he sent Mike Pence plus Ivanka Trump to the eighth summit of the Americas, something that no <laughs> president has missed in the past. Um and, and I just wonder, um, you know, is the United States will spend any attention on this region, particularly when there are, um, you know, I, I think one of the precipitating causes for the president not going, which didn't get a lot of coverage, was the fact that he, he's got a real problem in Panama. Uh, and apparently... Uh, in terms of his Trump Tower, his Trump Organization lawyers called up or raised with the Panamanian government the idea that if they sort of kicked them out of the Trump Tower and changed the name, it was going to piss off the president of the United States. I mean, which is the most egregious form of, uh, of, of blurring the line between the president's business interests and his responsibilities as president of the United States that we've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's your response? <laughs> yes. No, I mean, I, I, the, the problem with Trump, and this is why, as I've said before, I, I feel like I also have Trump-induced writer's block, is that he is a little bit, for all his inconsistencies, he's an inconsistent broken record, um, which is to say his behavior is appalling. That's quite consistent. 
Um, his behavior is is corrupt. His behavior is doing great damage to the institution of the presidency, to American democracy, and to American the the reputation of the United States of America abroad. Uh, and how many times can you say that and go? It's shocking! It's shocking! Right. You, know, you you sort of run out of you you run out of appropriate words. I mean, yes, you're right. Of course, David is the the combination of of general neglect of our Latin American allies. And I unfortunately, I think that 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 has tended to be the case. You know, I think relatively speaking, the Obama administration never lived up to early promises of 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 more significant forms of engagement with Latin America either. Um, so that piece of it, in some ways, is is unfortunately of a piece. Trump's Trump has gone from sort of relatively benign forms of neglect to what appear to be active efforts to alienate our Latin American allies and partners. Um, and yes, uh, the inability and lack of interest of this president in separating out his personal uh, financial interests and business dealings from his role as uh, someone who's supposed to be the steward of United States interests um, is is appalling and is causing all kinds of problems and is, is embarrassing. Uh, to me, it's embarrassing to me as a citizen. Um, but and and what else can we say? And this will go on until this guy is not in the White House. I mean, I think um, that I was going to say on this, you know, this this excuse that he's got too much to do here in the U.S. is obviously a fig leaf. And this goes back to him not wanting to do things that are hard. I don't think he wanted to show up at this summit and have everyone angry at him because he's of his incredibly racist statements about huge parts of the region. His sort of inconsistency on TPP, which a fair number of the Pacific-facing South American countries are participating in. There was no real upside for him in this, and it wasn't teed up for him as a big gala event where he was going to get to play either the gracious host or the good guy. And then with his base, he has no upside for making nice with Latin America. I don't even think he thinks that many moves ahead. Do you? No, I think he just thought, I mean, why do I want to hang out with a bunch of brown people? Yeah, exactly. And why do I need to get the? And he doesn't like to travel that much. Um, so let me switch over to the salacious as I turn to you, Corey, um, and uh, ask you, where do you come out on the Tristan and Chloe thing? Uh, you know, I am shielding, I am averting my eyes from that in its entirety. I so don't want to know. I so wish the president of the United States wasn't comporting himself in a way that these are public conversations we have. I, <laughs> I am not informed on it because I am assiduously refusing to be. Wait, who are these okay. people? Yeah, I don't even yeah. know who these people are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, I just, We're very high-minded here, so we don't follow this stuff. I, I just wanted to demonstrate to our nerds just how nerdy our regulars are on this show. And that whereas <laughs> the rest of America cares deeply, you guys are much more concerned about the Summit of the Americas. And that's, you know, it's, it's sad. It's disconnected. But that I mean, if we want to blend those things, David. if we want to blend those things, we could talk about how in James Comey's book, he does say that the president asked him to investigate the P tape. I was going to get there next because I wanted to hear Corey say the following. Go on, Corey. You wanted to hear Corey say, yet again, I really, <laughs> really did not need that visual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
It's just, <laughs> it was just dependable, and I knew we would get to that um, anyway. But we have so many visuals. You know, we have Comey with that revelation. Apparently, there's a doorman somewhere who was paid off about a Trump paternity case um, uh, that, you know, Trump impregnated somebody allegedly in the Trump organization or in the Trump Tower or someplace. Uh, and we have the whole Stormy Daniel thing. You know, you know, Rosa, I, I kind of wonder if we're sort of misreading this Stormy Daniels thing, though, because her lawyer is saying that now Michael Cohn, Trump's lawyer, is going to plead the fifth. And there was this big search and seizure in his office, and it had to do with the Access Hollywood tape. And there is now this kind of evolving theory that perhaps um, this had to do with the linkage between the Access Hollywood tape and Roger Stone and getting WikiLeaks to pull the trigger on dumping a bunch of information to try to upstage the Access Hollywood tape. Um, and, you know, you're a legal scholar, so I thought you could sort that out for us. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, with the, and, and I think it's, it is important to say we don't really know anything. You know, we're just getting leaks and gossip and we don't know we don't know the scope of the search warrant. We don't know the rationale behind the search warrant and we don't know what they have found. So, you know, the the leaks and gossip suggest, as you say, that it may have something to do with all of that. You know, it seems reasonable to conclude that the, you know, as a result of Mueller's investigations, that they found things suggestive of, at a minimum, uh, some sort of campaign and election-related misconduct uh, involving Michael Cohen, and that they passed that information along, uh, and that's now what is being acted on. Um, Beyond that, I, I don't think we know anything. So it's sort of too soon to say. I, I do think that um, <laughs> it would not be unreasonable for an outside observer to conclude that if there's no fire, there sure is a whole lot of smoke. Um, but exactly well, what that, we'll get, that, who knows. And, and that the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York and a judge determined that this was serious enough um, that it warranted doing something that you seldom do, which is searching a lawyer's, lawyer's office. office. No, that, that's that that's absolutely right. That that judges are extremely hesitant uh, because, needless to say, judges are lawyers themselves, um, and they're extremely hesitant to to uh, do anything other than make the presumption that that lawyer-client privilege is is valid and. Uh, I, now with this word, I have to stop using this word. Trumps everything. That, that this is this is terrible. He's taking an entire word out of our vocabulary, um, <laughs> and and you know, and that there there had to have been something that persuaded a judge that there was probable cause to believe that uh, there was some sort of fraud or illegality being actively aided and abetted. Does that mean that they will? get evidence that proves that in the end? Not necessarily. Um, but but yes, it's it's pretty serious. This is and particularly given the level of political scrutiny that every judge, every FBI uh, official, um, every Justice Department official knows is on everything to do with Donald Trump. Um, I think it's a safe bet that 
this was not done lightly and this was not done until all concerned parties felt that they had an absolutely ironclad uh, basis for that search warrant and their subsequent actions. Well, we only have maybe four or five minutes left. Let me go to Rosa with, um, and I'm sorry if we didn't get salacious enough for everybody, although I'm glad that the P-tape worked its way in there. Um, and Stormy Daniels and the 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 the, the Trump uh, uh, love child at the Trump Tower, um, but 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 just the follow up question, Rose, is apparently you know the president is sort of laying a case for getting rid of Rod Rosenstein, and 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 you have made the case that we are not yet in a constitutional crisis. And I'm just wondering if he follows through in that case and actually attempts to get rid of him, uh, will you change your tune and at that moment say we're in a <laughs> No, I'm going to stick to my guns on constitutional rot. Uh, it will be spreading rot. Um, but we are, we are not yet in a constitutional crisis, nor would even firing Rod Rosenstein in itself be, be sufficient to get me from spreading rot to crisis. I'm going to reserve crisis for overt refusal to obey a judicial order, uh, et cetera. You know, overt, overt uh, defiance of a lawful order. At what point do you, Mika, running a national security program, conclude that the most serious national security threat we have is the meltdown at the center of our government? I mean, I personally, my gut felt that way, you know, after the election. But um, <laughs> but I do I, I do think that some of that is right, like the disappointment of what happened and the surprise of it all. Um, I, my sense on what this is, is that we already have, as Rosa says, a lot of degradation of the gov- basic governmental functions. One of the things that really concerns me about this president from a national security perspective, and we talked about this with regard to Syria, is his complete lack of ability to have rational decision-making, to be able to look at facts, to make a decision that is consistent with his understanding of those facts, to communicate that effectively to the United States, to its people and our allies, and act from there. And the arrest of the way that he operates, I think, is doing long-term damage to our national security because it raises the cost of miscalculation of our adversaries and it raises the cost of miscalculation for the United States in its actions. So I'm actually quite concerned and believe that it is one of the, it is the biggest national security threat that we have right now is the possibility that the president's erratic behavior will substantially damage the American people's standard of living and potentially safety. Well, let me um, sort of carry this forward, uh, Corey. Uh, The administration you served in had its share of ups and downs. Um, One of the downs had to do with a guy named Scooter Libby. And it looks like the president of the United States is about to pardon Scooter Libby um, thus sending, in your mind, what message? Thus sending, in my mind, the message that he wants Scooter Libby to come into the administration. <laughs> because oh otherwise God. I can't see why he would make that a priority. 
Although, again, uh, so my sister is fond of telling me uh, when I'm trying to puzzle through why people do things that it's, as a general rule, you shouldn't bother trying to get into the head of serial killers. And I feel like Donald Trump's not a serial killer, but he's also not consistent, rational. He doesn't have decision rules by which he you can predict his choices. He's just random scattershot. It's entirely possible that, that somebody, John Bolton, said, what happened to Scooter Libby was a tragedy. We need to undo that. And the president of the United States thought that was a perfectly good use of his time and attention. Completely possible. Okay. Okay, give me another theory because I think there is a more. Well, the, the the other the other theory I think is that Trump is just trying to remind everybody that he has the pardon power, uh, and and he's trying both to do that to send a reassuring uh -huh. messages, to send a reassuring message to the people who he fears maybe like rats uh, who will imminently leave his sinking ship to say to them, don't worry, I've got your back. Even if you're prosecuted for federal crimes, I'll pardon you. Um, so stick by me, uh, whatever it takes. Um, you know, I, th that at least is the theory that he, he's, he is just trying to remind us all that he does have that constitutional and essentially okay. unlimited power. I abandoned my ship and endorsed Rosa, Rosa's uh, suspicion. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I think it, it's it's more profound than his pardon of Joe Arpaio, which was Joe Arpaio was convicted of doing things that were sort of, that Trump's base agreed with. But Scooter Libby, this would be pardoning someone for sticking up for and going down for protecting the president. Right, which is going to is about to be the only entry requirement for the Trump administration at this point. Um, well. Uh, you know, what I tried to do there in, in the 48 minutes that we've spent having this conversation uh, is just go over the past 12 or 14 hours of news. Um, uh, and you, you guys have not let our listeners down from your thoughtful analyses to your complete obliviousness on the Kardashians. Um, uh, that's that's what they that's what they expect of you. Um, and. Uh, that's why they turn up here at Deep State Radio, because they know they're going to get, you know, deep insights on the summit of the Americas and nothing at all on popular culture. Um, so although, Corey, you haven't made a reference to the Cardinals yet, so, you know, you could throw in some baseball. <laughs> we could um, throw in how discouraging it is to have the Mets start off 10 and 0. Yeah, see, there you go. That's a, that that's that's one. Um, but um, in any event, we'll be back um, uh, next week. I'll be in uh, China. I'll be in Shenzhen, China. So we'll be broad. I'll be broadcasting from Shenzhen, China. But who knows what will have happened between now and then? Probably missile attacks on another country. Uh, probably more news on the Mueller front. Probably another scandal involving. Uh, the president of the United States. And when that happens, we will bring it to you. And if something big happens pertaining to the Kardashians or Taylor Swift, probably not so much. That's Deep State Radio. Thank you, Mika. Thank you, thank Corey. And thank you, Rosa. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with 
Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.